it's been amazing. You know, this, the mountain bike community is awesome. And I think that it's, it's not something I'll ever not be a part of now because these people that I've meet and talked to, they inspire me to want to build that better for our people and get our Cherokee people on bikes and come join us. And we can work through so many different things, uh, historical trauma, grief, health problems together. And this is one outlet that can, that you can do that with. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 109 features Laura Blythe, a native of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. We covered a ton of ground during this conversation, with one of the most interesting topics being how the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians put together all the land that makes up the Koala Boundary. We also covered the Fire Mountain Trail System and what that trail system has done for the tribal citizens. Laura also discusses how mountain biking has presented her with some incredible opportunities, along with the health and spiritual benefits that come along with riding a bike. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www evotrails.com or go to www.traileffectpodcast.com Now on to the Trail Effect with Laura Blythe. That's always fun. Oh wait, I forgot to hit record. Can we start over? <laughs> we are recording so that didn't happen. I like it. I like it. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I've got Laura Blythe. Laura is the program director at the Cherokee Historical Association, but we're here to talk about Fire Mountain and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, which is in Cherokee, North Carolina. How's it going today, Laura? It's going great. It's a beautiful January day here, so I can't complain. I know you and Jeremy both are making me jealous because it's like 21 degrees where I'm at. We went through a pretty severe cold spell, but I'm sure you're used to that. We came out of it and I walked outside on a 33 degree day and I was like, "Ooh, this feels good. <laughs> yeah, springtime for us, it's whenever we get to whenever you get to feel above freezing and into the 40s and 50s. That's always a great thing. Let's get into your backstory, generally speaking, kind of let people know who you are, you know, and, and we're really going to get into the historical aspect of the Eastern Band of the Cherokee Indians and what, you know, and the Koala Boundary and, and Fire Mountain, obviously, because it's a mountain bike podcast and we're here to talk mountain biking, but I think all of this has relevance. Okay. Well, I'm Laura Bly. I am a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. Currently, I work at the Cherokee Historical Association, which is a nonprofit organization in our cultural district in Cherokee. And more so than that, I run the Oconaluftee Indian Village, which is a living history museum. So 
it's a good thing being here and talking to you because that's kind, that's what I do kind of on a daily basis. I educate the public about who we are as Cherokee people. And um, I believe that we educate ourselves as Cherokee people as well as much as we can to know our history. I have two children, um, Nate and Lily. My son is a senior in college, graduating this May, and my daughter's a sophomore in high school. So I started young, got them out of the way. Now mama's here to play. I love to ride mountain bikes. I am big into riding road. I do road cycling a lot. And that is more recent. I didn't start riding or cycling until I was 37 and I turned 40 years old this year. But I have found a love and a passion and my own personal form of therapy by doing so. And it's something I didn't know I was missing until I got involved in it. Well, let's get into how you found mountain biking so we can kind of set the stage. Is it Was it before Fire Mountain Trails came to be or was it after Fire Mountain Trails came to be? No, it was after. I had no clue that you could ride a bike in the woods prior to Fire Mountain Trails coming into Cherokee. They came in in 2017 and the trailhead is actually located right above the Oconalefti Indian Village. And so being there daily, once it opened, I was curious and I would see, you know, people drive in every day, fill the parking lot up, get out, unload their gear. I was completely oblivious to the sport, but it piqued my curiosity. I wondered what it was and it looked something, it looked like something that would be fun to do or try. I've always been kind of adventurous and athletic. I've been in um, athletics since I was four years old, team sports, all of it. And I like to stay active and busy and get out of the norm. And I hate boring stuff. So it piqued my interest. I saw a lot of people coming off the trail, still alive and still upright. So I thought maybe that's something I could do. And it's something new to Cherokee itself. And I love whenever new aspects get brought into our community, something that we don't grow up with and something that I didn't even know was was available to us. Um, we have a trail system not too far down the road. I didn't know it existed until after Fire Mountain came in. And so, I don't know, just kind of all of it, seeing people get out, seeing the community, seeing people laugh, cracking open a beer afterwards. I was like, that looks like I have a lifestyle I could get into. And then I, one day I decided to try it. We actually have a ride here called Remember the Removal that the EBCI participates in. And I had seen a couple of my friends do it. I had some other women riders that I would kind of see riding and getting into it. And I always wondered, like, who would want to ride a bike for that long? You know, the Remember the Removal ride is a thousand mile bike ride. and That just did not seem fun to me. But after years of watching these different crews roll in and roll out, I was thinking, you know, I could do that. I'm going to try that. And at 37, I hadn't been on a bike in, oh, Lord, since I was like 14 decades. And I decided to start trying mountain biking because I could see it every day right from my office window. and. I went and I rented a bike at our local bike shop 
and I would ride some of the little uh, flat trails around just to see if I could stay upright and remember. And of course, it's the saying is true. It's like riding a bike. You get on, you remember to balance, you pedal. And so eventually I wound up buying my own bike because I didn't realize how expensive or how um, <laughs> how pricey the hobby was or could be. I paid $500 for my first bike and I thought that was outrageous. And But I knew that if I had made that investment, I better not let it sit in my, you know, storage room and collect dust because I I like to not waste my money. I don't gamble my money away. And so that's that's what got me into it. Fire Mountain opened my eyes to a new world, new possibilities. And then, of course, in tandem with the bike ride that the tribe that that the tribe does, I, I was ready for a new outlet. I needed something new. I needed something different. My kids were getting older. And so that was it was time for me. It's my time. I got into it and it was horrible. <laughs> it hurt so bad. <laughs> and I was thinking, you're not weak. You're strong. You can do this. This will not defeat you. And every pedal stroke for the first six to eight months, I hated it. I hated it with a passion. But I could tell that each time I was getting better, I could feel it. My lungs were getting better. My legs were getting stronger. I went out with a friend a time or two. Neither one of us had ridden mountain bikes. And we were like, let's let's go. Let's conquer this beast. And I would tell people, yeah, I've started mountain biking. I've I've gone up to Fire Mountain and I'm trying to teach myself about this sport and how to do it. And they were like, what? the hell you're learning on fire mountain are you crazy <laughs> and i was like what makes it crazy they're like fire mountain's tough like it, it's all up you you start climbing straight out of the gate um and of course the ups are make the downhills worth it but when you're a newbie you're scared on the downhills you don't have that skill set you don't have the the balance and the technique that i know now uh, you you need <laughs> to be able to bomb downhill and make it fun. So yes, if it wasn't for Fire Mountain Trails, I probably would not be on a mountain bike, and I wouldn't have found you know the community that I did, the friends that I have, and the fun, the absolute fun that I would have missed out on otherwise. Let's go back a little bit so we can talk about the Koala Boundary. What makes Fire Mountain or what makes your region unique and your your community and a little bit different way that you guys, that you told me in the email that you named the ride, which is Remember the Remained and what the significance of that is. So be an Eastern band of Cherokee Indians. And if I say any time during this interview, EBCI, that's what I'm referring to. We're, we're members of the EBCI. And what a lot of people don't understand is that there are three separate Cherokee tribes now. The federal government, you have to be federally recognized. And the EBCI is one band of Cherokee Indians. The Cherokee Nation, who was um, those that were removed on the Trail of Tears, they are out in Oklahoma. And then we also have the United Gadua Band. We all stem from one place. And that is here in the Southeast. At one time, 
We owned territory in eight states. That's how big we were. And eventually it dwindled down to approximately 57,000 acres. And it's called the Koala Boundary. Um, More people just know it as Cherokee, North Carolina. The way that it makes it uniquely different is during the removal of different tribes, there was land reserved for these tribes that had to be relocated and moved out of their homelands. And so that's why a lot of people are like, oh, that's an Indian reservation. That was a plot of land reserved by the government to say, okay, you can't stay in your homelands. You need to go ahead and relocate over here to this little plot that we've reserved for you. You can live there now. Not as nicely as I just put it, but that's, you know, the basis for it. Well, during the Trail of Tears, the Cherokee Nation, their removal began in 1838. With the Indian Removal Act, it was signed around 1830, and a couple of different Indian tribes were removed. And then in 1838, the Cherokee tribe had to be relocated from western North Carolina area, east Tennessee area, out to Oklahoma. And that is what's called the Trail of Tears. We had people in our, we had our ancestors who kind of were, you know, business savvy, educated people. And we also had allies that we had built here. We had to denounce citizenship of being Cherokee and become North Carolina citizens. Well, William Holland Thomas, he was adopted. He was an adopted white man into our tribe. And being Cherokee, denouncing Cherokee citizenship and becoming citizens of sorts of North Carolina, we were able to start getting like 640 acres of land per person that denounced their Cherokee citizenship. So people started putting these plots of land close together. Well, at another point in history, North Carolina didn't want us here and they didn't want us to have that individual, those individual plots of land. So being a white man, William Holland Thomas could hold and purchase land and hold it in his name. So him and Cherokee people would start paying for this land and started gathering it together. And that is actually what makes up the Koala boundary now. And prior to being the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, we were known as um, the Koala Town Cherokees. And then I know that the Eastern Band had to be incorporated and finally was able to hold the land. And eventually, you know, we were able to put all these pieces together That is what the Koala boundary is. We lost our land and slowly had to start purchasing our land back under a white man's hold. That way we could stay here and remain in our homelands. During the Trail of Tears, they would round everybody up, make them leave their homes, all their belongings, put them in stockades and force them to move out west. We stem from those who actually fought to remain, who had a kind of a master plan of putting these plots of land together so that we could stay here and still have our Cherokee people in one place. You know, I I find it amazing that even at that time, hardships, strife, trauma, getting ripped from your homes, townships getting burned to the ground, they still had the foresight of if we do this, if we say this, if we sign these agreements, we can eventually have a place for our families to remain. 
And so the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians are the descendants of those who had that foresight and that know-how to kind of find those loopholes and build upon that. I knew it was unique, but I didn't know it was unique in that sense and that you guys actually took a, a business sense to all this, like you said, to stay where you wanted to stay, which is awesome. We almost had to do that. So we would have standing in a court of law um, if if we wanted to remain, you kind of had. But, um, you know, Will Thomas, he was the adopted son of Yona Guska, who was a Cherokee chief, and he studied law. He was able to hold the land and actually go fight in court for kind of what was his, but actually what he knew he was gaining for us. And so, you know, I always think that, you know, to help to build those allies through history and even now in modern day, that's crucial to all to all Native American tribes. To remain to to have the loyalty and remain loyal because he was adopted and understood the significance of that to continue to help because he was helped. Yep, absolutely. You know, he was he was a friend. He had a he had stores and some outposts here lo- locally. I couldn't point it out on a map today, but his house is out here on Whittier, his childhood home. We can ride out there. And that's one thing I'll tap into with the Remember the Remain ride whenever we start talking about that and talk about the historical places and the things that we need to know and why we're here and how we were able to remain here. Let's go into that because one of the things that I found when doing some research here, and then and then Jeremy also brought this up, is that your father is also a rider. He is. He is. My dad, you know, had, uh, he lost his wife to cancer. And after I had started riding, I realized how much it helped me with some of the underlying trauma and strife that I had been through, I had realized how much cycling helped me work through some of those issues and anger management and, you know, just getting all of the bullshit that life can throw at you kind of out, you grunt it out, you grind it out. You know, once he, once he went through that and he lost his wife, I had told him, I said, dad, you know, I have found a way that a form of therapy in my mind that helps me process certain things. And I also think that it could help you. And he said, well, baby, if they made a bike that would pedal for me, I would buy one and I would ride with you. And I said, well, dad, it just so happens that they make something called an e-bike and you have to do the pedaling, but it'll help you. You can power it up or down. How make it how hard or how easy you want to do it. But I guarantee you, if you get out on a bike, it will help you mind, body and soul. And so he went and he bought him what he called the Cadillac of bikes. It's a specialized Evo or something. I don't know the exact the exact model that he has. But he went out and bought it, started riding and hasn't stopped. Then eventually that kind of, I was doing, I was training for a long ride at that time and he would come out and he would ride with us and ride with my teammates and I, and, and he agreed. It really helped him. It helped him with his processing. It helped him with his mental health. And I do believe that, you know, a bike saved, 
saved what part he had left and, and gave him more. It also helped him build new family, new community. And uh, eventually he applied for the bike ride that I was participating in. And again, I'll go back to the remember the removal. And that that's the actual title of the bike ride that we were participating in. And the Eastern Band does every year along with Cherokee Nation. He applied two years after I was accepted and made it and filled in a spot on my team of one of my other teammates that wouldn't be able to go. And so eventually we wound up on this same team that was going to ride a thousand miles across the country. And he had to get on a no pedal assist bike <laughs> and learn how to ride and climb mountains. And um, this is this is all on road. This is road cycling. He's had to learn how to clip in. He's had to learn how to not fall over when you're trying to clip out at a stoplight. So he's he's gotten on a bike and he's done well. He is trying to sell his his bike that does is not pedal assist because he he wants to go back to an e-bike. But I will say he is 68 years old. He rode 99.9% of that thousand mile bike ride this past summer. So I'm, I'm extremely proud and I am happy that, you know, he has found something and that helps him in, in kind of the same aspect that it's helped me. I'm glad I could pass that along. I was going to ask if you hadn't gone into the fact that he couldn't do it on an e-bike. I was going to ask you, logistically speaking, how did you guys handle charging and batteries over that distance? <laughs> no, they, they made him ride a normal bike. Well, let's talk about, you know, how, you, you know, basically you, you, you started mountain biking because of Fire Mountain. Kind of let's talk about what Fire Mountain trail system has been in terms of the impact it's had on the tribal citizens. You know, a lot of times these shows go into the tourism side of things, but I think with this show, it's better to stick more of what the benefits that it's helping, you know, your community. Cause I personally think that's actually more important. A lot of people do. I mean, mountain biking does help the tourism side of things does help communities a ton, but let's, let's stick with the travel, the your tribal citizens and what it's done for your community in terms of, you know, just like you, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that didn't really ride a mountain bike before fire mountain came to be. Now that I've kind of been riding for a while, I realize that there there are people in the community who who have been riding for a number of years. You know, there's people like Jeremy himself. He's been riding since he was 14 or 15. His dad was a cyclist. So he was introduced to it young. And a couple of my really good riding buddies, some of my mentors on a bike now, they've been riding for 30 years. and what Fire Mountain has done for the community is actually one open eyes. It has opened up a new world to us that didn't know about it. I know many, many people in our community didn't realize you could ride a bike on a mountain. Um, that's not something that we're exposed to here. That's not a lifestyle that many of us have seen while growing up cycling road or mountain either. I, you know, just the, not even the biking, but the hiking and walking and running portion of Fire Mountain. We, we do have, we have some trail runners. We have a cross country team. And so that, that opened up a new area, kind of quiet, uh, peaceful area that you could kind of go away and get away from the hustle and bustle just to kind of do your own thing, 
and sort through issues in your mind one way or the other. I have seen people such as myself who hadn't been on a bike since we were teenagers rolling the streets and trying to be cool with our friends until this trail system came in. And then it sparked people like, huh, wow, that's something cool. It's something different. It's something unique. And it's right in our backyard. I can leave my house and I can be at Fire Mountain in five minutes. And that is true because Fire Mountain is pretty centrally located in the middle of town. It's close to our hospital. Probably a good thing. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it opened eyes. It opened a new world. It's opened up um, a wealth of health benefits. Um, Diabetes runs rampant in Native American communities in general. And so just opening up this new outlet. We do have a river trail that's kind of flattish. But if you want something that's going to test your abilities, Fire Mountain is definitely, definitely the place. And people know it as soon as they get on it. I have seen more people, you know, purchase mountain bikes to want to try to get into it, which I think is a great thing. I do know that it's very intimidating when you start, and especially if you don't have the support or, again, the know-how. It, it's it's tough to get into it. One, financially. Two, general knowledge. Three, skill set. I don't believe we have a true, true green trail. Um, just because I've been here and I've actually been to some really easy entry level green. And I feel like that is, that is what we need. And I think that um, the community community can recognize that if we're able to bring that in. I'm trying to kind of think of everything. I've been involved in it so much with trying to build group rides and community and thinking about how we can utilize this trail system to grow the mountain bike community here in Cherokee. You know, one of the biggest things I say is I wish I would have known about this when I was younger. Because when you're younger, you bounce off the ground a little bit easier and you can get up and you can walk away from it. But it's tough and it teaches you how to battle in a different way, mind, body, all of it. It teaches you so many things that you didn't know you needed. It's opened things up for the community. However, I know that we can utilize it to open even more and get people started sooner. I would love to see a youth club started, trips taken, the spirituality and the connection to nature brought back into it. And that is one thing I can say it has brought into the community because in our culture, Spirituality is a big thing. And if you tap into that and you understand it and educate yourself about it, being up on Fire Mountain opens those doors to help you connect to your culture and help you to connect to your surroundings and the things that help create life and maintain life and sustain life that can all be found on Fire Mountain. And so I'm hoping to be able to be part of the process to build the mountain bike community and get more people hear EBCI citizens up there. That way they can connect to all these things, the health benefits, the spirituality side, being able to recognize local plants for food or medicine, being able to see interpretive signage up there. That's another one of my goals to kind of get, you know, we have trails named after legends in our culture. And what were those legends? Why were they important? You know, in our culture, we are storytellers. And for a long time, we didn't have written word until approximately 1820. 
And so that's how these stories and our culture and our communications were passed down was just through oral tradition, telling stories, sitting up, making sure the kids understood their purpose. And I believe that that that's an aspect that Fire Mountain has brought and can even move forward in bringing more of that that life, the Cherokee life, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a lot I of sense. I ramble a lot. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not rambling at all. I don't think. Okay. No, that that makes a lot of sense, and you know, so with your signage, you know, I've not. I've been to the region. I've not been to Fire Mountain. You know, I think the closest I've been would be the Pisgah area, mm-hmm. you know, which we're going to get to that in a second too. But have you been able to kind of with, you know, with what you have for signage and stuff out there so far, have you been able to kind of really weave your heritage into even just the way stuff is laid out and the way it looks from a visual perspective? And you just said, you know, naming of things is you're starting to name things after legends. Yeah. Whenever Fire Mountain was brought in, it had, a couple of trails named one was one is named Uktana, which is a legend of a horned serpent, glittery scales with a jewel in its forehead and ran rampant and caused destruction for our people until Cherokee warriors were able to kill it. You know, and a lot of Native American tribes have have these beings and supernatural creatures in their legends. Uktana being being the name of one of ours. And I always hear people mispronounce it. You know, they don't they don't know how to say it. If you're not from here and you don't hear the language, it's hard because it's spelled U K T E N A. Uktana. And our language, our vowels are different. And so people are like Ukatin, Uktina, you know. And so that's why I think that it's important for us to have interpretive signage. One, for our people to go up and be able to read and learn about these legends, have it written in the Cherokee language so we can see more of our language out there and, you know, educate the public, those, the visitors that do get to come and see us. Because honestly, that's, the, that's uh, one of the other reasons that people do come here for the, the culture and to see the uniqueness of people living in their backyards but having a deeply rooted connection to the land that our ancestors come from. And so Spearfinger is another trail that is up there, long and flowy and so much fun. But it is named after one of our legends. You know, Spearfinger, she was a liver eater. She was a uh, shapeshifter who would eat the livers of small children. That, That was her favorite. But you know, just seeing signage up there and seeing the language up there, that's that's my goal. Education is my goal. And I think combining it at a place I love to be would just be natural, just be the way that it should be. I think everything should be labeled in Cherokee here because this is our territory. You are coming into into, you know, a different culture. And I think people should see that and recognize that and be okay with that. You know, I had the Fire Mountain logo translated into Cherokee language recently. And, you know, in talking with Jeremy, of course, I always get approval because, you know, he's he's the manager, basically, of the trail system. But I told him, I said, hey, you know, we're Cherokee, we need to start 
putting things in Cherokee, translating them in Cherokee. I'm not a fluent speaker. He's not a fluent speaker. And so we have to go to people who who are fluent and talk to them, find out the best way to say things. Are we saying it right? How do we write it correctly? And eventually we were able to get Fire Mountain Trails, the logo translated into Cherokee, and it's written in syllabary. So now when Jeremy's ordering new things, he's actually putting the Fire Mountain logo, which is recognizable at this point. If you see the logo, you'll understand, oh, that's Fire Mountain's logo. But now you're going to see it in Cherokee syllabary. And people may not understand the syllabary, but they're they're going to know that that is Cherokee's trail system. That I hope yeah. that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I think that's awesome. Yep. And I think I found that in some of my research as well. And your logo is very recognizable. And I did have to laugh when Jeremy told me why Fire Mountain's called Fire Mountain. <laughs> I knew why it was called Fire Mountain. My husband's a wildland fire, or he used to be a wildland firefighter, and he'd get called out on that mountain all the time. <laughs> and they just burn it down. <laughs> That was a little, that's a, that was a little bit more specific on why it was named, but Jeremy brought up a name and I don't remember what it was, but it was named, it's your Black Diamond Trail. Skeely. Yes. Talk about that quick in the history of that legend. So Skeely is actually not a legend. Skeely, S-G-I-L-I is how it's spelled phonetically in Cherokee. Up here, we put a little mountain slang to it. So it's S-K-I-L-L-Y, skeely. But a skeely is a booger. It is a kind of malevolent spirit or being that wants to, you know, cause you harm or something kind of like be mischief or be, be mischievous. And that's what that is what a skeely is in our culture. It is a booger, a dark being, kind of bad juju. If um, somebody were to want to send a shkili after you or bring you bad medicine, bad news, you would have to find a way to eliminate the shkili, get it away from you. A lot of times people will associate uh, like like an owl, like a screech owl with a shkili, bringing news of some sort and maybe not necessarily good news. And so if you hear one in the woods here, be like, oh, there's a shkili over there. Don't go over there. Tell it to get away from you. Tell it to leave you alone. Uh, so there, there's just a couple of things in our culture that not everybody understands. And sometimes we don't even understand it, but we believe it. <laughs> Yeah, you got to wonder, and maybe, maybe I don't pay enough, maybe I pay too much attention to just, to just mountain biking and trails, but we have like nothing like that in modern culture, you know? Yeah. It's, which is unfortunate because it makes things a lot more interesting. Well, I mean, sometimes maybe it's, you know, how they have fables and uh, things that some of these stories, you know, Spearfinger was a shapeshifter and she could look like your auntie or your grandma get you to come over and talk to you and she would sing you to sleep and eat your liver so don't wander around in the woods by yourself because you might come across spear finger you know so kind of like there's there are these stories in modern culture that are kind of are they real or are they not 
but our stories, we've been here for documented, they say 11,000 years, but it's got, it's longer than that, you know, but these stories have been passed down for generations upon generations before the written word before. So it's, you know, there's, there's depth to it. There's belief in it. And you don't mess with something like that. You you know, you don't, you don't want to call bullshit on it. It's a little disrespectful, you know, so it's up to, uh, to what you believe in the stories that you hear. And some things are unexplainable. And so we just roll with it. Well, let's go back into Fire Mountain and, and maybe the region. We're going to we're going to stick mainly on Fire Mountain, but I guess I want to know what, you know, after you got into mountain biking and you kind of started looking around, like from the outside looking in, at least from, or from my perspective, you live in a region of this country that is a hotbed for cycling in general, especially mountain biking. You know, I mean, from Eastern, Eastern Tennessee and obviously Western North Carolina, where you're at is just, it's incredible. And South Carolina and Georgia. You know, there's just a lot going on for mountain biking. I mean, Piscus, or I mean, Sorba in general is, is huge in terms of an organization driving mountain biking in your region. So what did you think when you, you got into mountain biking at Fire Mountain, then you started looking around and then realized, holy cow, like we have all these trails that aren't that far away. I did not realize how many different systems are located within probably an hour and a half to two hour drive from my back door. It has been a great world to get into, especially if you find love and passion. But there are things that can fit anybody's fancy in this area. You can go to Jackrabbit Trail System and have just a really nice chill day beside a lake. Then you can go to Pisgah and ride trails over there and just get hammered. Like you could have a hell of a day in Pisgah and only ride five miles. I went over recently, um, one of the only other times I've done a Pisgah ride with two of my buddies and they took me on a 21 mile day in Pisgah. I rode Avery and Bennett Gap and I was blown away because on this side and being, I mean, I'm only a couple of years in, I hadn't seen trails like that. I hadn't seen the gnarly, the rock, the root, the the crazy, insane descents over stuff that I don't imagine I'll, I'll ever be able to go over. And then I see two people cruising behind me, boom, 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 just rolling it. And I was like, man, one day, one day, if only I had started younger. <laughs> no, but it is, it is amazing network. And I've only been on a few trails in Pisgah. I love DuPont. DuPont is an amazing system for anywhere for anybody who wants to ride a light, chill day to people who want to ride a little bit harder, you know, lots of gravel, lots of trails. I love it now that I'm that I'm into mountain biking because any given day I could ride a different trail. I could probably ride a different trail every day of the year if I wanted to and just be a couple of hours from home at most. Yeah, and it's and it's expanding more. It is. It is. You know, we're hoping to expand here in Cherokee. We have approximately 10, 11 miles in the current system. But, you know, we're hoping to bring a, a bike park in and add new trails onto there. I mean, it is 
it's worth it. It absolutely is worth it. It's fun and, and it creates a different outlet. It makes people wild and crazy. And then it also mellows them out. It's mellowed me out because I don't, I don't get as crazy as I used to. <laughs> it's chilled me out quite a bit. I can totally appreciate all that because I've, and I've said it recently, not, I don't know if I've said it on in the podcast, but I've joked that if I could only figure out a way to get medical health insurance to cover bike expenses and travel expenses as therapy and prescriptions, Mm -hmm. because like when you think about it, when you look at healthcare expenses, it's through the roof too. Yeah. And so like, and we, and bikes are really expensive as you've already said multiple times and getting into this is definitely, it's a, it's a commitment, Mm -hmm. but it's not any more, it's not any cheaper than the, than the alternative. Right. Right. You know, um, it can offer you so much more, you know, there's, there's an upfront cost with just about anything that you're going to do. And then once you find the love for it and the want to do it, you're okay with it. You know, buying that upgraded bike, buying the new components, putting, putting the bling on your bike, you know, and I have, I have friends in this community that, I don't know why, but they absolutely love me and care for me. And they give me pretty things to put on my bike. (laughs) So I've actually got a couple of pops of color, cool stuff that my friends have given me just to say, I love you and thank you. Let's stick on the traveling bit because it came to my attention through Jeremy that you've been able to travel a little bit for mountain biking and represent the EBCI. And I think one of those places you went to is Rome. Have you been anywhere else? And let's talk about, you know, kind of how you're, what you've, learn when you've when you've left your region you know as i said it's a different world it's a new world that i was never exposed to but i love to talk i love to socialize um i love to educate and just being on fire mountain and meeting the people that i've been able to meet and make friendships that has kind of snowballed into meeting other people and other people wanting to do the same or similar things that we're wanting to do here in Cherokee through Fire Mountain. And by opening all of those doors and meeting these people, they're like, hey, have you seen, have you talked to Laura Blythe? You know, she's an EBCI member. She loves riding bikes. She's trying to be a, a good community member and grow the sport that we all love. It's kind of just, it's been a whirlwind over this past year. I had a friend that I was riding with. She actually told me about this BIPOC scholarship that I could apply for to go to what's called Rome Fest. And they offer, they do Rome Fest right now in three different areas, Knoxville, Colorado, Fruta, Colorado, and uh, Sedona. And I was, yeah, I'll apply for this. I'll see what happens. I won the scholarship. They asked where I would like to go. And I told them I would love to go ride in Sedona. I don't know at any point in time when I will actually be able to sit down, get all my gear together, pay for it and go. So if I can go to Sedona with this scholarship, I'd love to do that. And in November, I went and participated in Rome Fest, which is an all women's mountain bike festival. And they bring in women. who have done big things within the industry. They have the big wigs and uh, representatives from 
like Rebel Bikes, Transition, Industry 9. So as a female rider, I can I went to this festival and I was able to meet these women who are powerhouses in this industry. And to me, I still feel like I'm a newbie. Like whenever they talk to me, I feel like I don't belong in this conversation because I haven't been in this world that long. But they're all so open and welcoming and willing. That's the great thing. They're willing. They want you to be involved. They want you as a female, as a Native American female to be involved. And, you know, to be able to go out to Sedona, represent the Eastern Band and let people know that, hey, here's here's our Fire Mountain logo written in Cherokee syllabary. We've had, we've got our own language. We're trans, we've got it translated. We have our own trails. We run a, you know, the Fire Mountain Inferno come out to our side of the country and see us and come participate with us. And, you know, it's also open different opportunities as in. I was able to go to what's called Outdoors for All, and it was an event held in North Carolina, in Old Fort, North Carolina, this past October, and just kind of through networking and connections, and I was doing an interview with a gentleman from Free Hub Magazine, and he was like, have you heard of this? I would like to introduce you to this lady. And so, like I said, it's just been a whirlwind of meeting amazing people in this business, in this industry who who want to see you do well, who want to, you know, oh, you're you're an advocate for mountain biking. You're trying to build stuff in your community. Well, here's what we've done. Let us share our notes and let us share our contacts that way. Yes, absolutely. Because it's only going to build the, the industry more and expand to different areas. And, you know, immediately right here, Fire Mountain Trail System, and then there's another one, Solly Trails, that aren't too far away. That's about 30 minutes away from me. Those are the only two, like, big trail systems. But the more we can grow and build over here, that only enhances Western North Carolina. And, you know, I've met some people down in the Hayesville, the Jackrabbit Trail Systems, and they're like, yeah, we're wanting to grow, too. And it can just be one large network connection of trail systems. And we're all promoting and all supporting one another. And that's kind of what I found within this past year are these, you know, oh, you're wanting to, your your goal is to start a youth mountain bike club for Cherokee. What can we do to help? Or, hey, I overheard you say this. I would love to introduce you to this person because they have already done this. So, you know, just being from EBCI, not being exposed to any of this. I had no idea how to take it, but I love to talk. I love to communicate. I love to educate. I love to, I love to grow and I love to build. So it's just, it's been amazing. You know, this, the mountain bike community is awesome. And I think that it's, it's not something I'll ever not be a part of now because these people that I've meet and talked to, they inspire me to want to build that better for our people and get our Cherokee people on bikes and come join us. And we can work through so many different things, uh, historical trauma, greed, health problems together. And this is one outlet that can that you can do that with. And I don't know. It's just been a really awesome, mind-blowing year to be on a mountain bike for me, for me personally. Well, and I'm glad you chose Sedona because I'm going to say if you would have chose Knoxville, that's Knoxville is almost your neighborhood. 
That you know, is two hours from my back door. I go to Baker. It's an hour and 45 minutes. I went to Baker Creek like three weeks ago. <laughs> that, that's my point. Like, and I think it'd be awesome for you to participate in Rome Fest in Knoxville so you could bring almost the local perspective, you know, for yeah. people that aren't from your region. But Sedona, I mean, Sedona holds a special place for me personally. And so for you to experience that in Sedona, like what was, what was your thoughts on the riding out there? I mean, it's a totally different it's a totally different landscape than Western North Carolina. Totally different world. I have a really good friend. Her name's Mel Caldwell. And I credit her with expanding my horizons in this sport more than anybody has. And that's the first time I met her. I'd probably been on a bike for like eight months. And then she was like, hey, girl, I'm going to Sedona to ride in, I think, November or something you should go. And I'm like, Mel, I've only been on a bike for a little while. I don't even know if I'm riding correctly. And she's like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Your skill set, you're good. You'll be fine. So I didn't go that time because I was scared. I was so scared. And I was like, let me, let me get a little more familiar with being on a bike and being on different terrain. I didn't understand the difference in technical riding, smooth, flowy. You know, I didn't understand the true difference. I knew that climbing was tough, but I actually really enjoy pain and I love to climb. People think I'm crazy for that. She takes me to Spencer Gap. And I don't know if you've heard of that trail, but that's one of the trails in Pisgah. It's rocky. It's and it's you climb up to it, techie, all that good stuff. I'm okay with the climb. The descent was going over large rocks and roots and what I thought were drops in my head at the time. We get to the top and her family and I are standing up there. They start putting their full face helmet down. They pull up their knee pads and put on their arm, their elbow pads. And I'm in a tank top, some like five tens and a pair of bike shorts. And I look at Mel, I'm like, what did you get me into? Like, what did you get me into? She was like, oh, you'll be fine. (laughs) You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Anything you can't really go over. Don't worry. Just walk it. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to die today. I did not die that day. Um, Like I said, she has shown me so many things really early. I was scared to go to Sedona. And so when I won this scholarship, I was like, I have to get ready. I know that it's insane out there. I know good riders that have gone out there and gotten hurt, and I'm not a good rider. Everybody's like, you're good. You'll be fine. I had to talk to Jeremy before I even applied for the scholarship. Jeremy, do you think I'm an intermediate rider? Do you think I'm intermediate, like high or mid or low? Like I I like to get input because I don't trust myself. And he was like, oh, you're absolutely intermediate. And, you know, if something happens and you get to go, we'll we'll start working. We can take you to different stuff. And so once I won that scholarship, I was like calling all my friends, Johnny, Joe, Jeremy, gentlemen, I need to get ready for Sedona. And so Johnny and Joe took me to Pisgah. They made me ride hard rock, loose rock. I talked to one of my friends, Shanna Powell, who does, um, you know, bike clinics, Endless Bike Girl. She said, "Okay, girl, let's set up a um, let's set up a private training day. I'll take you to some slick rock and teach you how to ride slick rock. So I did all of this. 
And I felt pretty good by the time I got to Sedona. And thank God I have such good friends here because I believe Josh Whitmore said it best. It's like riding on the moon out there. And it is. It's it's loose. And it doesn't matter if you anywhere you wreck, you're going to fall into a cactus somewhere or some kind of tree or bush that wants to kill you. (laughs) So I am thankful that I did have that fear at first, but I had understood my limits and my capabilities. And I have these people who are willing to take me out and help me work and help me train. Once I got out there, yes, it was tough. It's tough. And I stayed within what they wanted each individual kind of skill set to stay in. They say, if you're black in your territory, go down to blue out here in Sedona until you get a feel, until you get a lay of the land. And so that's what I did. And I had an absolute blast out there. It is totally different. And it is, it's like you are riding on jagged baseballs. (laughs) That's what I, that's kind of how I put it. Cause they're just like loose, round, sharp rocks. And you just have to let it go and graze over them and try not to slam on your brakes or try not to cut it too hard. It it was fun. It was different. And I know that my technical abilities by the time I got back were so much better. Climbing up them rocks, climbing over the rock, the loose rocks and the chunky rocks. I'm not going to lie. There are parts that I had to get off my bike and push (laughs) because we were on a trail and I could look down and it was just a straight drop. And I was like, "Mm, if I clip my, you know, if I clip my left pedal on this, I will probably overcorrect and shoot off. So let me go ahead and just walk across this little 20 foot section of cliff. That way I make sure that I get to the other side. Okay. But it was, it was eye opener. It was fun. I would absolutely go out there and ride again. One new territory, bright, beautiful, sunny days. And two, it enhanced my skill set a lot. And by the time I got back, I could tell that I was a better rider for going out there. Yeah. That's something I always enjoy. Like, especially when, especially when it, you go ride somewhere else, like you just explained, and then you go, you bring it back to a place, you know, really well, like for you, fire mountain, you look at the trails differently where you live because of what you just did and you can ride it faster, whatever, whatever your, your measurement is for improvement, you know? And so that's something I always really enjoy when I get to travel and, and then come back home. Yeah. I honestly, I wish I could find, um, more of that technical climb closer because I have to go, I would have to go to like Pisgah and such, which is approximately an hour or so away from me, depending where we go in at. But I really enjoyed that hard tech climb to test your limits and to see like if you could do your step up and over and I tried to put all the training in the clinics and everything that I had done prior to going into use. And I can tell kind of now if you don't if you don't use it, you lose it. And so I'm trying to make myself do many, many sessions up here at Fire Mountain on those parts that I can find those little little areas. Yeah, and Pisca's definitely got it. I was in Pisca last March and I spent one day in Pisca and rode Buckwheat and Bennett and Black Mountain. And did you clear it all? Did you have to walk anything? I didn't. Well, I cleared everything going down. Yes. The, I maybe should have listened to a local about getting to Black Mountain where I wanted to make it a loop. And he's like, well, if you go, if you make it a loop, 
you're going to be like doing some significant, like I had to pick my bike up some stuff that was like waist or <laughs> waist or chest height taller to like get up and over the top of black yeah. mountain. And that was the second, my second time climbing up. Mm. And that was my third day in the region. I for in the two days before that I was at ride Canuga and doing, doing laps of ride Canuga. So I was pretty tired. <laughs> yeah. They, they, uh, gave me a pretty good introduction. You know, I rode Avery and Bennett Gap and I couldn't, there were parts of Bennett Gap that way beyond my skill set. And they're like, Oh, you're good. You'll be fine. I'm like, no, I'm not willing to risk it. <laughs> I'm way up here in the woods <laughs> and I want them to have to carry me out. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely like, I was riding it totally blind, just like you would have been your first time. There's, I definitely would have liked to have gotten a second lap down that just to once you know the stuff is there to to be more smooth on it and like not have such an eye-opening experience because it was really eye-opening yeah yeah there's stuff that i was not comfortable with for sure yeah well bringing it back to fire mountain since you've been able to travel and stuff what are some things that you'd like to incorporate you know you've you've already actually talked about this some which is you know the youth side of things and technical climbing trails but is there anything that you'd also like to incorporate that and maybe it doesn't even have to do with trails. Maybe it has to do with community that you'd like to see happen at in Fire Mountain that you've found somewhere else. Well, the biggest one is to try to just get more community members involved. And I've been trying to roll around ideas of how, what is the easiest way to do that? And I try to reflect back on when I first started, what didn't I know that I wish somebody would have helped me with or told me about. So my goal one is we've we started doing well, I call them thirsty Thursdays, Fire Mountain Thursday night rides. And almost every Thursday in the summer and throughout the fall before the time changes, we get together. It's a big group ride, no drop. Make sure you just come, you hang out, you have community, break bread, drink a beer, and have fun. Make it fun. Another is, you know, I I've worked on getting more of our local women out because I know how empowering it is. And one of the biggest things in our tribe is we're a matrilineal tribe. Uh, We were a matrilineal society. So all things rolled from the mother's side. Women had voices in council. We, you know, we were pretty strong. There were women warriors. And I want to kind of tie that in and bring that back to light. Like, hey, Historically, we're strong people and more significantly for us, we're strong Cherokee women. And so I've been able to get a couple of my friends out, you know, my best friend, more like my sister, finally got her to come out more frequently. She bought her own bike. And just for me, when I started, it was very um, male dominated. As you know, we've all seen it. We all know it. But I would see women riders and I would see. there was there's a local lady uh, I would see her ride in and I would be like huh I can do that and so I'm hoping that you know with me riding and getting out there kind of like going to Sedona and saying you know I get to represent here and talk about this and build community it gets more women saying if Laura can do that I can do that and I'm not gonna lie I'm pretty tough but I don't mind people saying, if Laura can do that, I can do that. (laughs) And, you know, 
the youth clubs getting a team formed or something, getting some camaraderie going, getting the word out about, hey, this is fun. Let's start younger. I'm really looking forward to the bike park coming in. So it's really entry level and you can do some training and some laps. I want to host a community kind of bike fest where we utilize our mother town and that's Gadua, which is approximately 10 minutes from Cherokee. It's in between Cherokee and Bryson City, but it is our mother town. It is actually where our stories say that our people come from. That is where we we were, you know, created. And I'd really like to host a bike fest down there. Beautiful field, open by the river, and it's about a three-mile loop. And it's flat, it's gravel, so it gives you a little bit of rougher terrain to test your bike legs out on. But hosting community events for a bike festival, or not not even a festival, but a day to come play on bikes. Bring your family. You don't have to have a $500 mountain bike or a $5,000 mountain bike. You can have that, you know, $200 Huffy that probably wouldn't make it very long on a tough, tough trail, but is perfect to do gravel riding with your family, with your friends. And just bring us back to being young again, being on our bikes, being outside, playing, falling off and tearing the skin off our elbows, you know, like bring it back to getting outside, bring it back to culture, bring it back to fun, healthy activities. And if I can get your little brother on a bike and then your big sister gets on a bike with you and then you can get your mom out there on a bike, you have a family of three right there. That's all on bikes that all can go to Gadua, that all can all connect with nature. And eventually that could grow into, hey, we're pretty good on a bike here. Let's move up to Fire Mountain. Let's check out our new trails. Because the biggest thing, it, it's scary. It is super scary to get started. I know that. I felt that. And at, at, the, at these kind of community events revolving around bike riding, can we get people that can walk you through the components of a bike? brakes, uh, changing gears, uh, how much do you inflate your tires to, make sure you ride with level pedals, that way you don't have pedal strikes as much. Um, Just those general little features that you don't know when you first get into it, if you don't have somebody showing you what to do. And so basic bike mechanics, you know, clean your bike after every ride, or at least wipe it down. Those, Those things, I'm bad at that. But you know, some people are really good at that. Um, you know, so I hope to be able to bring more of those things to town. The entry level is what I feel like we're we're missing. And if we can start that level and make it fun and spark that interest, that we can help build the Fire Mountain Bike community, the Fire Mountain locals on bikes, kicking ass community. I'd love to see young women. Um, I'd love to see my daughter racing in the Inferno someday. You know, she's she's an athlete. She loves to play uh, basketball and soccer. But being on a mountain bike, that's an individual kind of thing. Like you push as hard as you're going to push. Um, some days it defeats you and some days it don't. But it's always kind of um, gratifying once you get off and you're walking home and loading your bike up, all that good stuff. I'm hoping to be able to spark those things within our community and the mindsets of people around here. Yeah. And it's a, it's a life activity, you know, I mean, team sports are great for 
what they do, but you know, and at our at our age, we're not involved with team sports anymore. And team sports, they don't last forever. Correct. Cycling, even just light rides down the river trail, it's good for the soul. It's good for the body. It's good for the mind. Um, and then those hard grind cross country rides are a, a different level. But I mean, it you feel amazing after you get done with one. I love a good long, you know, trail ride. Give me 20 miles at DuPont and I'll, I'll feel good about my day. Sorry, give me 20. Let me let me take that out. Let me throw DuPont out. Give me 12 miles at Fire Mountain and I'll feel good about my day. <laughs> I got to stop throwing these other trail systems out. <laughs> well, I was just about to bring it back to Fire Mountain. I was going to ask you, what is your go-to loop for if you're going to go ride? What do you, you know, what are you putting together for a ride? Who? At Fire Mountain. I guess it depends on the day. However, if I'm a good day and I want to get something, a really good hard effort put in, I'll do a figure eight on Fire Mountain. And that'll take me across the trail system, up a portion of it, back across the center, all the way up to the top. And then I'll drop down and crisscross almost that same loop. So it'll give me approximately eight miles. And I know that doesn't really sound like a lot, but for the first four, you climb basically, you know, so it's, it's all up and then you get to have a really good fun downhill. If I'm looking for, if I'm looking for a quick loop, I'll climb up Uctana, I'll get to the top and then I'll bomb down Spearfinger which is the longest, flowiest trail. I think it's approximately three miles from the roost at the top all the way down to the Overlook, which is the, the next little shelter that we have on there near the bottom of Tinker's Dream. And then, of course, you want a little extra. I'll drop into Skilly. I won't do them drops because that's just not who I am right now. <laughs> but, you know, I love, the, you know, the kind of the flow jump trail. And then a short, quick climb back out and you're back at, you're back at your car. You're back at your office. Back at my office. Yeah. And that, before they even knew I was gone. <laughs> Don't tell my boss though. <laughs> That's perfect. Do you have anything, any advice that you could give to another community looking to get, you know, bring mountain bike trails in and specifically maybe another Native American community? That would be looking to bring trails into their community. And, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about what it's done for your community, but maybe just some lessons learned and, and incorporating this stuff into another community. Any advice? I would absolutely say go for it. Even if you're unsure of if it will be worth it, I can guarantee you it will be worth it. And if you can, if you can kind of cover a broad range for complete newbies up to maybe just intermediate at first do it it opens up a different mindset it opens up um, new possibilities for your community and it, it can provide you and your community members something that you didn't even know you were missing and I think that's that's one of the things is in my mind like I didn't even know I needed this outlet. I didn't know I needed to be on a bike until one day I was like, let me see if I can ride a bike again. And sure enough, 
here I am, absolutely loving it, promoting it, trying to build it because it has provided something for me and other people I know it's provided something for us. I, I can't I can't explain it. That's the hard part is I can't explain it. Um, there's so much that it has offered mind, body, spirit, soul, connection to culture in all ways that you just you don't know that you need it until you have it. So there is there would be no regrets if if somebody could build something for their community, Native American communities, you know, with the historical trauma and the grief that we all try to overcome. It's only an extra outlet that can be in the positive. Yeah. And don't worry, it's it is tough to explain. And for those that haven't done it, it's probably unbelievable. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, do you have anything that we didn't discuss that you want to discuss or we can go into closing comments? I'm trying to think if we I'm I'm looking through my notes and I don't know if we missed anything. I rambled so much that I don't even know what I said. I'm glad you're recording this. That's what I love about doing this podcast. It's like opened up so many opportunities to meet new people and learn new things and then, you know, share this with other people. I guess I work on trying to bring more of the cultural things into anything we do Fire Mountain related. You know, the New Jerseys, I told Jeremy, I said, you put the put the syllabary logo on it. Don't just do the English. You know, let's start branding as uniquely Cherokee and these are our trails and we're we're pushing this and I love to see our culture and the only way that we're going to be able to to help it survive is to push it and build it and learn about it teach about it be educated about it I've had a lot of good good uh, mentors and things like that being in the job that I have that have taught me crafts and lectures different things that that's the one thing I really enjoy is just meeting people in the outdoors industry in general has helped me be able to go educate about our culture. Um, at the Outdoors for All, I was able to do the Amplifying Indigenous Voices panel and just kind of talk about who I am as a Cherokee person and the beliefs and the customs that I try to follow daily. But what I've learned is from elders and talking to them and learning the stories and kind of hearing them pass down. And I now know how important it is to continue these things and to make sure you pass them down. You know, I'm not fluent in the language, but now that they're offering um, Cherokee language classes, I can I can speak a little. I can say a few things. I can order my coffee at the coffee shop in Cherokee. So (laughs) I don't know. Jeremy had mentioned that you also and I don't know her personally, but. I'm going to say she's from my region. Um, I've been at the same events as her, but you've been able to meet and become friends with Alexander Houchin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like She grew up about two hours, two and a half hours south of where I live, and she lives now about three and a half hours north of where I live. Have you have you talked to her? Have you ever? I haven't. I haven't been able to meet her. I haven't got to meet her yet. I've only, I, I know of her because, well, obviously she's been in the media, so she's got a really good story. Freehub did a story on her. She's had other stories, but she's also done a couple of events that I've, that I've been involved with. One of them being the Margie Gessick, which is named after a Native American who is really instrumental in helping the iron mining industry up in northern, up in the UP, Upper Peninsula of Michigan. 
and that's an ultra endurance event. And so that's kind of, although her events are, I'm going to say ultra, ultra, ultra endurance because she goes for days and weeks <laughs> where I only go for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So five hours and I'm good. I'll go back home. Yeah. The stuff that, that she does is insane. And the mental kind of fortitude that it takes to do that ultra endurance bike packing. I, I don't know if I can even imagine it. Like I, I don't know how you make it through that, you know, it's, it's just crazy. And so again, being, being a female rider and even more so being a native American female rider, we don't have anybody like that we can look up to, or we don't have the, the pros and the superstars in this industry. My friend introduced me to Alexandra through an article. You know, he, he was like, I don't have many idols, but I can tell you this woman is a badass. She does these ultra races. She rides a bike. She has a great story. Oh, and she's native. And I was like, really? So I started reading these articles and then I am. Um, seeing certain things. And I was like, holy crap, you know, that's, that's amazing. And then I was like, we look like we could be sisters or siblings or something. And so that kind of sparked that, wow, you know, she is native. That is, that's cool because (laughs) whenever we have basketball tournaments or something and other native tribes come in or we go out there, you can always see somebody in a native American community be like, oh, that looks like my cousin or that looks like my That looks like my Aunt Jenny, you know, just some some crazy thing like that. You can always see kind of a resemblance somewhere else, no matter where you're at. And so doing the interview with Christian, he was like, you know, Alexandra is going to be outdoors for all. Right. And I was like, really, that'd be cool. Maybe I'll buy me a ticket, go over there and try to meet her. My friend Mel, I was telling you, gets me into all this crazy stuff, has opened my eyes to the world of outdoor sports in general. She super stalked Alexandra and her team because she was like, Alexandra needs to meet my friend, Laura. She has to meet my friend, Laura. Laura is trying to do amazing things in mountain biking, amazing things with her community. She called her sponsors. She emailed like (laughs) her entire team finally gets in touch with her and was like, you have to meet my friend. You have to meet her. So Alexandra calls me on my birthday to tell me happy birthday. All because a male like, no, Native American woman, a Native American woman, you two need to start dominating. (laughs) She can dominate in that ultra sports world. I'll just dominate in community events. We'll do that. Um, (laughs) But it was so crazy how that happened. Male, Male is a true supporter and an amazing friend. And uh, after talking to Alexandra on the phone, we would kind of text here and there like, hey, good luck on this. Or, hey, I've got this new website coming out. And so we just kind of developed this communication going on. And when I met her, we were like instant. We clicked. We hung out the whole time. We laughed. We cut up. And the similarities that she has on her res, there's some similarities, of course, across, across, you know, different tribes and being indigenous in general. 
And so we would connect on that. And, you know, we gave her some of her medicine. We gave her some of our medicine to take with her doing the Arizona trail race recently. And so she would send, she sent me a picture and she said, I've taken some of your medicine with me. She was putting it in her little bag. And so that's kind of like unique between Native American communities because I know, I know how to use my medicine and her tribe has a different, maybe a different set of medicine. And this tribe down here maybe uses like sweet grass or sage or, you know, that's not native to here. So we use something else for our medicine. And it was amazing to meet somebody who was one, a badass cyclist and that not only I can look up to, but if my daughter gets into it, she can look up to her. Or if we start this youth club, like, hey, these are native riders and they're doing amazing things. You don't have to be stuck in a rut. You don't have to like be stuck, stagnant and not branch out. Like it's okay to explore. It's okay to get outside. It's okay to do hard things. And so just through meeting her, we still talk. She's going to come in for the Fire Mountain Inferno. I was able to connect her with Fire Mountain and meet Jeremy. I know I told my buddies um, that I was doing a podcast today, the ones that wanted me to go ride. And uh, they're like, is it live? Can we watch you? I'm like, no, it ain't live. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you've made it through everything without dropping a single F-bomb. You want to start dropping them now just to get your quota back up? (laughs) No. I'm working very hard on that. (laughs) That is one of the pieces of myself that I have been working on. Yeah, that's good. Not every every occasion calls for a fuck. You know what I mean? (laughs) There, you got one in. (laughs) <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Why? Because I, because I can do that too. <laughs> it's labeled explicit. <laughs> it's labeled explicit. And I don't have anyone controlling this podcast in terms of like obligations to any companies or anything like that. <laughs> well, anything you want to close with in terms of like, thank yous to people, all that good stuff. Cause I think it's imp- obviously You've had, you've you've listed a handful of friends already, which is which is awesome to hear. I know I didn't know if I was I should have done that or not, but I just talked to talk. I guess God, I don't know. I guess you know I would like to I would like to say kind of thank you to Fire Mountain and all of those who were behind the creation and the management of course jeremy himself for opening a new door giving me an outlet and by providing that i hope that our community gets more invested and more involved and we see more enrolled members on the trails utilizing what we do have and what we're able to bring in i won't I do want people to understand that it's not easy to just throw a trail system in. You have to have a lot of different pieces and moving parts come together to be able to do that. And, you know, I hope our community members realize that, you know, this is a gym in our backyards and we really shouldn't take it for granted. And it can provide so much help uh, in many ways. You know, I want to thank my friends for putting up with me. Oh, Lord, I know that that is such, (laughs) at times, a hard thing to do because I push and I, I ask them for their help. And I love that they see my passion and they're willing to support me. And they 
they show up to help with any event that I'm like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to do this? Yes. What time would you like us to be there? (laughs) So, you know, um, all my girls are amazing. The women who have opened my eyes and and gotten me into this and pushed me way beyond boundaries that I thought I would have. But I couldn't be weak. (laughs) I couldn't show any fear because they would make fun of me. I don't know. It's it's so weird. I love I love them all. I love everybody that I've come across. I've met people that were not even from town, but I'll run into them. I went to Snowshoe, ran into a group of people I met up here and started talking to at Fire Mountain probably a year before and kind of stayed in somewhat contact. So this community, this mountain bike community, it's it's big, but it's small. Like you continue to run into people and meet people and like, oh, well, I know so-and-so. And it it kind of snowballs and rolls back in from there. So it's just been it's just been fun. It's been an amazing world to get into. And I really hope that those who are interested try it. Those who have done it and have fallen out of it, get back into it, you know, because we all know that it provides something that is 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 crazy or can calm the crazy one or the other <laughs> it does those who know me know that it calms my crazy <laughs> i haven't had to go to my anger management counseling coach in a long time <laughs> yeah it's good that's i mean for me that's the most difficult part about living where i live is the winters and and not being able to like i haven't like i, I think it was before we hit record I'm going to have to get on a trainer and I hate the trainer just to pedal, you know, just cause we got so much ice here right now. And I, you know, I ski and snowboard too, but I don't care what anybody says. It is not the same. And I can yeah. go do that five minutes from my house. <laughs> it's I've tried it all as well, but there's something about, there's something about mountain biking. There's something about being outside in the fresh air. And also you're typically in a remote area. You don't mountain bike beside a four lane highway here in the hustle and the bustle and the noise. You mountain bike in seclusion a lot of times back in the holler in the woods and you get to get away from the bullshit. I think that that's what makes it so amazing. It actually makes you stop and have to work through things that the kind of outside world noise sometimes pre- prevents you from doing or m- kind of creates the chaos itself. So it's it's good. Fresh air, nature, all that good stuff. Well, I'm going to thank you for coming on the show, spending time with this, taking time out of your day. Hopefully you can still get out and ride. I hope so. I don't want to get on the trainer. (laughs) You got some daylight left. I do know that, even though you're still an hour ahead of me. Yeah. Go out and ride some, what's the three mile long bull trail, something finger? Spear finger. Spear finger. Go out and ride, go out and ride some spear finger. Heck yeah. It's a hell of a climb though. It's a hell of a climb. That's what Jeremy said too. (laughs) (laughs) I rode Fire Mountain yesterday and I was like, I text my friends. And I was like, it hadn't gotten easier, girls, and being lazy on the couch through the holidays, y'all are going to regret it when you get back out here. So I try to, I try to poke fun and I try to make them get their lazy asses out. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. It's good motivation. It really is. 
Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's just it's good motivation. So, well, thank you very much. I'm gonna hit stop on the record here in a second. Well, thank you for having us on, and thank you for letting us talk to you about Fire Mountain. For sure, I really appreciate it. We'll have to come out and see us for real. That's for real. Maybe gonna happen here in the next two months. Awesome. We'll see. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode, we will be diving into the topic of women in the trail building industry with Don Packard, the owner of Blue Sky Trails and the current president of the Professional Trail Builders Association. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. I'd also like to thank all the listeners and guests who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas in future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>